Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Good morning. All right. So we're back in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Where have we been so far in the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody catch me up? Remind me where we've been and what's been going on? Kids? Anybody? Peter? Help? Uh, gonna be shy. So Jesus has been baptized, right? He's been tempted in the wilderness. He's been gathering disciples and healing. He goes up onto the mountain. He's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, right? Right? So where does that start in this sermon? It starts with the man who's blessed or happy, the happy man. Who is the happy man? What does it look like to be the blessed man? That's who we want to be, right? That's who we want to be. We want to be the blessed man. So it begins with a picture of that, and then that means that we're going to be salt and light. Why? To what end? To what purpose? So that men may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven, right? And to do that our righteousness has to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, than all the, all the religious people who want people to see how righteous they are. It actually has to come from our hearts, from the inside out, right? So when it comes to people and our passions, that means it's not just about following the letter of the law, you shall not murder. It's don't be angry right? Don't lust. Be faithful to your spouse in every possible way. Be truthful in your speech. Don't seek revenge. Don't just love your friends and family and people who are good to you, but love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? So when it comes to your passions and to people, discipline your passions. When it comes to God, then, and especially our acts of devotion to him, giving to the poor, praying, fasting, don't do your acts of devotion to God in order to be seen by men. Don't live for the praise of men or out of fear of men, but live to God who sees. Live before your Father who's in heaven. Fear God, seek his reward and his pleasure. In other words, Live to God. Live as if God is actually God. He actually sees. He actually knows. He's watching you. And you are living before his face. Because he is, and he does see, and he does know, and he does care, as a father cares for his children. So when you pray to him, pray to your father in heaven. Not as pagans pray who don't know God, but as children who know their father and know their father loves them and cares for them and desires to care for them. Knows your needs before you ever ask. So when you deal with people and when you deal with yourself and your own sin, when you deal with your acts of devotion to God, and then today we move into a new section. And that new section has to do with the way that we interact with the world and the things in this world. So, um, and that's where we're at this morning. So 
It's basically the same as before. Don't be ruled by your desire or love for the world or the things in the world. And don't be anxious or afraid about not getting or having or keeping the things of this world. That's where Jesus is moving next in the sermon. Instead, understand God is God, worship him, and trust him to provide you with everything you need because, again, he's a good father who loves you and cares for you. And so today we're focusing on the first part of that, not loving or living for the things of this world. And as we do, remember that all of this is the good news of God's kingdom for you. This is God freeing us. This is Jesus freeing us, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is what it means to live as children of the light, as citizens of his kingdom in heaven. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom from sin, freedom from the devil, freedom from the world, which is what we're talking about this morning. Freedom so that we won't be ruled by fear and anger and lust and vengeance, desire for those things. Freedom so we won't be ruled by fear of men or by the praise of men our desire for the approval of men and freedom so we won't be enslaved or ruled or driven by the love of money or possessions or wealth or status or anything this world has to offer us. So let's read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. This is what Jesus says. And it's kind of a long passage this morning, but that's okay. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, so three parts to this passage and three parts to the sermon this morning. Treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, and how that connects to our hearts. That's the first thing. Second, the eyes. Sounds kind of weird. Was he, the eyes full of light? But I think it's key to the whole passage. And then third, the nature of all gods, true and false, which is totalitarian. They want everything. So let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning, grateful that we get to come and worship you together. We thank you for the YMCA and the staff that uh, serve us and are so generous with us. Uh, We thank you for your word being proclaimed this morning all around greater Evansville, and we pray that your word would be proclaimed faithfully and that you would work by your spirit in the churches of this city to do great things for the sake of your kingdom. Pray this morning for um, Megan as she deals with the severe allergic reaction. We thank you that she's able to be here. And for the doctors who cared for her, pray that you would heal her. Pray for Jacob as he continues to be brave and to pray that you would heal him quickly and help him to uh, be patient with the healing process and 
respectful of his mother and father as he gets frustrated with hard things. Pray for Bart and Anna. Prepare for marriage that you would be near to them and that you would help them grow in love and care for one another and that um, you would help them as they move towards their families becoming one. Thank you for the birth of baby Theo and pray that you would cause her to grow strong and godly in Christ Jesus. And we pray for Kira this morning, uh, who's not able to be here, that you would be with her and that you would strengthen her to love and care for her family. Pray now as we turn to your word that you would have mercy on us, that you would fill me with wisdom and grace by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would humble our hearts before you and that you would teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's a good thing that Ordinary Americans are not susceptible to anything in this passage, right? Not susceptible to the worship of money or treasures or possessions or success or anything like that. We're off the hook. That's for other people. Okay. We all know that this hits us, right? Like, this is us. This is for us. So how? How are we tempted to or susceptible to the worship of things, to the worship of money, to the worship of success, of wealth? Just as ordinary Evansville people. Or how about the church? How about the church in America? Or just let's stay local. How about the church in Evansville? How about us as a church? How about you personally? Is wealth a bad thing? In and of itself, is it a bad thing? It's not, right? We know it's not. It's not a bad thing in and of itself. Possessions are bad things in and of themselves. So if we've all read Proverbs, we know that fools squander their wealth. They don't leave an inheritance to their children. That's a wicked thing to do. And wise men build wealth and pass it on to their children. They leave an inheritance behind. And a lot of Proverbs has to do with that, right? Wealth is not intrinsically a bad thing. But there are all kinds of warnings for the rich in Scripture because wealth is also dangerous, right? It's dangerous. It's not evil in and of itself, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous because our hearts are dangerous, right? Because wealth is a servant doesn't make it a good master. And it's very easy for us to let our wealth and money become our master, our ruler, our king. The love of money and wealth and possessions and status and power and honor is always, always, always threatening to master us. And wherever it is in abundance, it's threatening even more to master us. So how is it trying to master you and me? Just think for a minute. Jesus gives us a test where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? And that's not just a clever saying. That's something we can actually apply. Where is your treasure? Where, 
Where do you spend your money and your time and your resources? It shows you where your heart is. Y'all got uh, banking apps on your phone? We could all pull out our phones right now. Here's a test. What if you pulled out your phone right now and opened your banking app? And just look at your last 10, 15, 20. We'll be, we'll be generous so that we can be sure we get some kingdom stuff in there, maybe 50 transactions, 100 transactions. What would they say about where your heart is? What would they say? Would they say anything about where your heart is? Uh, what if you opened your phone and just like, like on my iPhone, if I pull it out and open it up, and I just kind of swipe up and, oh, look, here's my cryptocurrency account and Facebook. And what, what would pop up? What do you spend your time? What are you invested in? What are you thinking about? What about your browser history? The websites that you've been at? Just like what, last five, 10, 15, 20. What would it say about where your heart is? If we look at trends in the United States over the last 50 years, some like just economics, let's just think money for a minute. What are some of the biggest things that we see happening? If we looked at it, would it tell us anything about just in general where we are as a society, where our treasure is? What are some of the biggest and most startling trends in America over the last 50 or 60 years? Dramatic rise of abortion, dramatic rise of divorce, dramatic drop in childbirth, dramatic delays in marriage, or church membership. Just, I think I saw a study in like the past week or two that for the first time in the history of the United States of America, church membership dropped below 50% in the past year. Does that, any of those things say anything about our treasure as a society? Anything? Does it have anything to bear on any of us at all? What about our, our entertainment industry? I'm just asking questions. <laughs> I'm not trying to make any accusations, right? I'm just asking questions. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? Where your treasure is, there your... I'm just asking, where's the treasure? Where's it at? Where does it go? Where's the money flowing? What direction? Follow the money, right? The good, good journalistic practice, follow the money, right? The money will show you. The money doesn't lie. The money will tell. Journalists understand this, right? Follow the money. Follow the money in your life. Follow the money in your heart. Follow the money in the culture. Follow the money in the church. Where do we spend our money as a church? Where do churches spend their money? Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Oh, got to get the skunk. That's a cool skunk, buddy. <laughs> yeah. oh. I love it. It's good. It's what we want. We want kids all around. Um, 
Let me ask a question. Y'all ever heard of a guy named LeBron James? Anybody? Can I get some interaction if I say that out loud? All right, cool. Okay. Raise your hand. Can we like be a little like halfway sort of charismatic here? And like, if I say, if you've heard of LeBron James, will you raise your hand, please? Yay, yay, yay. Next thing you know, we're going to be dancing in the aisles. Okay. So we've all heard of LeBron James, right? Right? Best basketball player in the world. Insanely disciplined person in every aspect of his life. Every aspect of his life. Insanely disciplined. Insanely disciplined financially. Do, do you know what, uh, what um, every, before every game he listens to music, right? Got his headphones in, tries to lock in. What uh, uh, music subscription service do you think he, he has? He uses free Pandora with ads because it's a waste of money. And his teammates make fun of him. It's like, you're LeBron James. Like, you make enough money in the course of a day to, like, buy 30% of Spotify if you want. Like, you could call them and say, hey, how about you give me a service for free and also pay me to endorse it? And they would say, yes. He's insanely disciplined, right? Like, he just, everything is on mission for him. So when it comes to his body, as a professional athlete, do you know how much money he spends a year on his body? Can you guess? I want you to guess because you're not going to touch it. Go ahead. That, I saw that hand. Yeah, you thought you were scratching your ear, but I think you wanted to guess. <laughs> $10. It's over a million. It's $1.5 million a year, according to his agent. $1.5 million a year on taking care of his body. $1.5 million every year on taking care of his body. On trainers, on massage therapists, on alternate therapies, on, uh, on un unmentioned accessories, whatever those are, like... It's the word that is used. Um, unspecified appliances. That's actually the phrase. I wrote it down. So chefs. Equipment. $1.5 million. Can't, can't, can't spend a dime. Can't spend $5 a month on a subscription music service because that money's not going to his mission in life. But if it's on mission, $1.5 million. Doesn't matter, right? That's a man on a mission. That's a man who knows what he wants in life and is bent towards getting it. He has a goal. He has something he's invested in intensely. He has something he's willing to make all kinds of sacrifices for. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How about Elon Musk? Can we do the hand thing again? Yay. Richest man in the world, right? Where's his treasure? 
Bitcoin, space. There was a time when Elon Musk claimed to work 120 hours a week. 120 hours a week. Not because he wanted to. This is him talking. This is CNBC. But because he can't help himself. Because it was all he could do. He couldn't stop being driven by ambition. Stress, pressure, couldn't stop thinking about anything. 120 hours a week. Only way he could sleep is Ambien. You know how many hours a week he works now? Always less than 100. He tries to stay down as close to 80 as possible. Why? Is it because he wants more balance in his life? It's not. It's not because he wants more balance in his life. It's not because he's trying to have a more healthy, balanced life. It's because he realized that going at 120, uh, 120 hours a week was driving him into the ground and making him less productive. And so he disciplines himself to work less so he can be more productive because that's on mission. Rest is a part of it. If you can call that rest. 80 to 100 hours a week. The man is driven. That's why he is the richest man in the world. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The flip side is true. Where your treasure is not, there your heart's not also. I was scrolling through Twitter or something yesterday, and uh, uh, there was a guy, they were talking about this. They were talking about money and what you would do if you had more of it. And um, I forget this whole, who was having this whole exchange. But the whole exchange was, I wouldn't know what to do if I made more than you know, $200,000, $250,000 a year as a household income. I do. I would give to all these philanthropic causes. Oh, yeah? So where are you volunteering now? What are you doing now? What are you giving to now? Well, I, well no, wealth amplifies who you are and what you do. Don't tell yourself lies about that. And, the, and these, so far as I know, we're just pagans. Not Christians. Just realists. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Don't fool yourself. If you made a million dollars a year, if you're not giving now of your time and your money, it, that, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. Unless it's like for tax purposes, it serves your bottom line, but not because your heart is for serving other people. Because that, that's reflected all the way down, no matter how poor you are. You always find space for the things that matter most to you. You're always willing to make sacrifices for the things that matter most to you. It's another test. Remember, I'm just asking questions this morning. When money does get tight, where do you tighten your belt? What do you stop? What do you pull back from? When time gets tight, where do you pull back from? They'll tell you a lot about what your priorities are. Is it God? Is it God's kingdom that you pull back from? Maybe that's a reflection of you fitting God and his kingdom in around your priorities. 
and not you orbiting and centering your life around him and his. I said the eyes are key, right? The eyes are key. Eyes, lamp of the body, what's that about? Seems weird, right? But it's not. This is actually something that, a metaphor that the Bible uses quite a bit. So if I say that in Peter, Peter talks about men whose eyes are full of adultery. Would that clarify what Jesus is talking about? Men whose eyes are full of adultery. Here's the thing about us. It's fundamental to human nature. We're always, always, always looking for opportunities to serve our masters. Always. We're made to be worshipers, creatures of worship. So the question is, what's mastering you? Uh, Here's what I mean. I was talking to a man not too long ago. Great guy. Entrepreneur. Very successful man. We're talking about the church in Evansville. Okay. He's a member of a very large, one of the biggest churches. If I say one of the big three, you can guess what, he, you know, right? So he was talking to me about his frustrations. He loves the church. He wants to serve that church, wants to be involved. He's kind of frustrated with how the leadership of that church works. Like the elders are just the most successful men in the church community. And that's the marker of eldership. And he's a successful man. And so he was approached for eldership, and he wants to serve, and he wants to serve the church. But he said no when he was asked. And it wasn't just because he had some principle of, oh, it's because I'm successful, right? No, you want to know why he said no? He said no because the first thought that went into my head was business opportunity, networking, status leverage for my companies and for future companies. That was the first thought that entered my mind. And I knew right away, I'm not qualified. That's my first thought when spiritual leadership is, is offered to me. That's scary. That exposes my heart. I've got work to do. I am not ready for this kind of leadership. If my first thought is, how can I use this to my financial gain? I've so trained myself everywhere I look to see business opportunities that even in the church, even when it comes to spiritual leadership in the church, that's the first thing I see. Money, business opportunities. I've got to retrain myself in how I think about everything. It's not wrong to be entrepreneurial. It's not wrong to see opportunities and opportunities for business. But to what end? Is wealth the end? Is it your God? It's not going to end well. This is what this man saw. He's like, it was a wake-up call to him, right? Like, No, even those things, those opportunities need to be seen as opportunities to build and grow God's kingdom and serve something bigger than myself and my bottom line. I got to figure out how my businesses and my business opportunities are put to work to serve and build God's people, God's church. Does it create opportunities for young Christian men and women to have good quality paying jobs? Well, 
will, will it protect people when they get fired for their job, from their jobs for being Christians? Are we providing services that are actually helpful? Are we making money that we can put to use for the mission of God's kingdom? God's kingdom has to be what's important. So when you're walking down the street, what is it that you see? We're trained. We're always looking for opportunities. Opportunities to serve our God, our master, the things that we want the most. What opportunities grip your imagination when you walk down the street? Are your eyes, like Peter says, are you one of those people whose eyes are full of adultery? Are you just looking for opportunities to, to slake your lust? Are they full of money-making opportunities? Is that what you're looking for? Ways to make an extra buck here and there? Ways to cure your loneliness? Ways to gain validation for yourself? Ways to gain recognition for yourself? Ways to boost your ego? Ways to prove that you're smarter and quicker and more perceptive or discerning than anybody else in the room? Ways to look down on other people? Or seeking opportunities to love and serve God and other people. What are you looking for when you look at your husband or your wife or your fiance? What drives the decisions that you make with your time and with your money and with your kids? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What gods are you making sacrifices for? Everybody's making sacrifices. It's like Ben was talking about in fasting. Uh, was that like a month or so ago? Right? We all go without things. We all go without things in our lives in order to get other things that we want more. What are you making sacrifices for? Even the person who makes no sacrifices, denies himself nothing, is making sacrifices. He's just sacrificing the future and maybe eternity on the altar of now. You're not getting away with not making sacrifices. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or mammon, which is actually a word that, that's why I've been making this bigger than money. It's a word that means more than money. All gods are totalitarian. They all want all of you, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of the time. All gods but one are merciless tyrants who will run you into the ground with lies and false promises and leave you empty. They'll take everything away from you. It'll rust, it'll decay, it can be stolen. You'll die empty-handed. You'll return to the grave naked as you came. And what will you have left to inherit? But the wrath of God. Or you can be ruled and governed by the king, by a good father who loves you and cares for you and actually has your best interests at heart, who knows what you need, who knows how to care for you, who really does love you. It's one or the other. 
be tyrannized by your petty sins and your love for the approval of men and your sad devotion to the goddess of success and wealth and status and have it all taken away from you and never satisfy you or submit to your Father in heaven who loves you, who knows what you need before you ask. Who's a good father? To Jesus, the king, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. You will have a master. And that master will drive your household too. Husbands, wives. Are you forcing each other or your children to make sacrifices for the idols that you worship? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What fills your eyes? What do you see? You'll serve a master. Who will it be? Jesus is drawing the line in the sand. Not me, I'm just reading it. No one can serve two. It's one or the other. Let's pray. Father, we are weak and easily led astray. Our hearts are easily entangled in the love of money and status and honor and validation. And we're easily ruled by our desire to please men and receive their praise. And we're easily given over to our passions. And we see and we know and we trust that Jesus came to set us free from these things. So we pray this morning that you would help us, that you'd be near to us, that you'd have mercy on us for the ways that we fail, the ways that we sin against you and rebel against your loving and kind rule over our lives. We pray that you would humble us and that you would help us to walk in your ways, that you would forgive us of all our sins and that you would Lead us into obedience, into newness of life. We thank you that you have done it through the work of your son, Jesus, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.